good morning. If you don't have the church app, you may not be aware of the fact that Pastor John's mother had a massive stroke last week. So this is also my commercial for, if you don't have the app, I would, you don't have to be a member of this church to get the app. Um, I'm going to refer to several things that John and I and, and any of us who speak up here, we put additional resources in the app because we just can't cover everything in that much detail. And this week in particular, I've got several. And one of the things that I wanted to share with you is that Sherry and I, in the last couple of weeks, Amazon Prime, if you have Amazon Prime, you have access to certain movies. And this one will cost you a little bit of money, but I think it's worth it. It's called C.S. Lewis, The Most Reluctant Convert. It's about 75 minutes, and it's worth every minute of it as far as I'm concerned. I feel in many ways I, am, I share an awful lot of what C.S. Lewis went through in his journey to coming to faith, and, and, I, and I highly recommend that. Getting back to John's mom, we get prayer requests, and I just want to let you know that John is still in West Virginia. Hi, John, if you're watching. And the situation with his mom is still indetermined. They, they're still working their way through as doctors to understand how best to address that and the family with regard to how they're going to go about that so your pair, prayers are coveted. Our text this morning is um, it's one of the few times when I really know I'm going to have my texts a month and change in advance. Um, the work that Mitch and the staff put, did to put together the resources that you guys have had, I knew what my text was going to be a month and a half ago, even when I preached the last time. And the Lord has really been working me over on that on this particular passage, and I hope I'm able to convey that. Because John MacArthur has divided Philippians 3 into two specific warnings. Excessive lawfulness, which we heard about last week, and its polar opposite, lawlessness, which we will be covering this morning. Now, last week we were warned about falling upward, right? Getting so legalistic and so absorbed with the law that we start to look like a Pharisee. Right? We start to lose exactly what God really wants. This week, Paul pivots and switches gears to what happens if we go too far the other way, resulting in lawlessness where anything goes. And the primary question we're going to attempt to answer this morning is, how are we determining whether something is lawful or lawless? Seemingly simple question to me, and probably to you, but you'd be amazed at how differently we all answer that. Whether something is lawful or lawless, in the inside of that is embedded the key, right? Law. Whether there is law or there isn't. And what is absolutely paramount with respect to law is jurisdiction. And the title of my sermon this morning is Jurisdiction Matters. It really matters a lot more than I ever thought it did. Now, jurisdiction is a 14th century word, a modern word by any definition. But, and if you're not familiar with it, it's, it has to do, it's the legal equivalent of context. Or, if you like sports, consider it the rules of the game. The rules of football obviously don't apply to the rules of baseball. 
right? So jurisdiction has to be established. And when I, I am not an attorney, I don't even pretend to be one, but we have a really, really good one in this church. We probably have several. But I know Chanel really well, so I shot her an email and I said, Chanel, weigh in on this. Make sure I don't say anything stupid. I mean, I probably will, but with respect to this, it's going to be on the screen here, I hope. And I'm not going to read it for you, but you guys can read faster than I can speak. And as you will be able to, if you, if you can't read it, it says, before anything can be determined legally, jurisdiction has to be established. So let's see if an illustration might help demonstrate the absolute importance of jurisdiction. You're cruising down the highway, you're tooling along, you're talking with somebody, or you're maybe enthusiastically accompanying your radio, you're just having a grand old time, you're just buzzing down the road, and you fail to notice that you moved into another county and you didn't notice that the speed limit changed. Happened to me on 84, the other side of Aldosta, by the way. I was cruising along, and I failed to notice that I went from Loundis County into Lanier County. And it wasn't too long, as you might suspect. It, yep. There were blue lights in my rearview mirror. Same road, same speed. What changed? Jurisdiction. Right? Now... This particular thing, I mean, I got pulled and a very gracious uh, deputy, I mean, decided, I mean, it would have cost me several hundred dollars, but the, the gracious, I mean, maybe it's the GCA, I love my wife. I don't know what sticker changed the guy's mind. I have no idea, but I did not get the ticket. But in the worst case scenario, my failure to observe the change in jurisdiction would have cost me what? Money. Okay, yes, that can, that can hurt our wallet, but it's just money. So let's up the ante a little bit. Shortly after reading my text this for this morning, I was driving along Dothan Road, and I saw this billboard that hopefully will be showing up. Perhaps you've seen it. If you're here on a Sunday morning, there's a pretty good chance you're going to agree with what this billboard is saying. Then a little bit further down the road, I made a turn, and I don't know why, but it just clobbered me, and I started thinking about Jesus is the only way to God according to who? According to what? When people disagree and can't settle their differences, where do they go? Worldwide, everywhere. Where do you go if you can't settle your differences? Court. Do you not? Absolutely. Whether it's legal or illegal, true or false, which court determines whether something is lawful or not. Which this is where it gets interesting. And I know this is a long intro, but hopefully, hopefully bear with me. I, I really hope that this is going to be worth it for you. When deciding if this billboard is true, that Jesus is the only way to God, which jurisdiction will be trying the case? If the jurisdiction is God's kingdom and his word, then the statement on the billboard is 100% true. If, however, the jurisdiction is Facebook, Twitter, Capitol Hill, or the campus on your university, probably not. Not anymore. Beginning to see how important jurisdiction can be? It matters in just about everything that you can think of in this life. 
Am I overreaching? Maybe. But there's more I thought about, the more I thought about this text, the more I realized that understanding which jurisdiction was in play would make a big difference in how I was taking this life in and the things that occurred to me every day. So let's pray and get into the text. Father, you are so gracious to us as we work our way through the life that you have given us. And I lift up John and his family and, and the things that they are going through, and I lift up this time and those that have come this way or maybe watching that, that it would be beneficial for the time that they're investing, as your word always is. For I pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 3, verse 12. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. I want to take 90 seconds less or less to say up there, NLT, that's New Living Translation, which if you're a purist, it's not really a translation, but it's a lot closer than the Living Bible which preceded it. Okay, Living Bible, paraphrase, this is a quasi-semi-translation. Why am I making the point? Because in two weeks, we're going to be starting Foundations of Grace. And this is my little commercial for you to carve out 915 and come and meet us wherever it is that we decide we're going to start that because it will be worth your time because if those kinds of things interest you, we can't get that deep here. I'm already taking up too much time with this, but I want you, if that kind of stuff gets you going like it gets me, then please Put that on your calendar. What we see in the first part of verse 12 is actually a continuation of verse 11. Paul starts out, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things. What things? It's kind of like a therefore. you got to look back a little bit to actually know. We kind of helicoptered in here in verse 12. you got to look back a little bit. And that he's talking about here is the resurrection from the dead. He hasn't, that was in verse 11. He hasn't achieved that yet. Or that he has reached perfection. Another word for perfection found in some of your translations is maturity. So he knows he's still coming up short. This is Paul we're talking about here. And he's pressing on to possess a more perfect maturity. The maturity that Jesus first possessed for him and wants to give him. Wants to give him. This is really great advice. Not just for him, but for us, you, me, as well. Paul wants his readers to realize that maturing in their faith is an ongoing battle. It's a struggle to be more willing to let Jesus be in control of your life, to take on his righteousness. So this is a good time. I haven't used this in a long time, so some of you are newer to grace. This is, we're going to talk about faith walk. Maturing in your faith requires humility. Trusting in Jesus and the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, more than yourself requires humility. Actually, it demands it. Now, this is antithetical to everything I was ever taught growing up. Absolutely. I was taught that you had to work hard for everything. It was up to you. 
that you should rely on no one. You should trust very sparingly. And I'm, going, I'm here to tell you this is not a stellar preparation for humility or trusting in a spirit that you can neither touch or see. These days, our children are bombarded by virtually every public means available dismissing anything remotely spiritual. Every day, incessantly, on a phone, on TV, social media, our government, and many of our schools are preaching their own message that there is no God. And if you absolutely insist that there is a God, by please keep it to yourself. You're embarrassing us, is essentially the undercurrent. And I, and I, and I really feel for our younger people with respect to that because this stuff has only really come along in the last 10 to 15 years in, in the avalanche that it is right now. But the distinction that I'm trying to draw here is, is that with, it, it's, it's certainly 50 years separating my youth from today's youth, no question about that. But the temptations, as much as they differ, any progress in maturing in our faith will be reflected in how we process those temptations. Doesn't matter if it's good-intentioned good parents that are driving into their kid, it's all up to you, kid, you can't rely on anybody, or it's social media whispering to them that there is no God, don't even worry about that. They're all temptations. We all suffer them. And if you're going to mature in your faith walk, you are going to have to figure out how to process them. Verse 13. No different, brothers and sisters. No, um, pardon me. No, dear brothers and sisters. I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Paul hasn't achieved it. Achieved what? Perfect maturity. And neither have I, neither have you. Paul focused on one thing. From prison, I might add. Forgetting the past and what? Looking forward to what lies ahead. Now, First time I read that, I go, that's two things. Isn't it? He's forgetting the past and something. Conjunction, two things, right? Not to Paul. This is great advice if we could really tap into it. This is like a lot of things that in, in your faith walk which seem to be kind of a little bit out there. And that is that something can be two things at once, like Jesus being God and man, right? Those things can occur in Scripture. And here's another one. As far as it's concerned, if you're struggling with the past and the fact that you're not good enough, and certainly my New York background being used here from here in Bainbridge, Georgia, all of these things that shouldn't happen can happen, but are you going to dwell on the fact that that may disqualify you in Bainbridge because you're from New York? Or are you going to look forward and do exactly what God wants from you? Are you going to set that behind and press forward? That was what Paul was doing. He saw them as, two, as those two different things as one thing. Listen, we all have regrettable things in our lives. 
They're there, and you can be sure that dwelling on them will distract you, sidetrack you from participating in what God has invited you to do for his kingdom. I am so glad that I was invited to be, it's, it's more than seven years now, that I've been, I've been fortunate enough to be here. And I haven't dwelled on the things that would probably invalidate me here, and I've been relying on him, and you can do the same. In addition to actively forgetting the past as he is pressing forward, I like that he included the heavenly prize. And by the way, if you had the resource, this is the memory verse for you and your kids, right? These are the memory verses. Because the heavenly prize, by including it, it indicates that God is okay for a portion of your motivation to be the possibility of a heavenly reward. That's okay. God, through Christ Jesus, not independent of Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus, wants to give each and every one of his children a reward, just like Paul. The next several verses describe what progress in our faith work should look like. So here we go, verse 15. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress that we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow my example. First off, Paul is trusting God to clear up minor differences. We here at Grace have a theological bullseye. There's certain things that really are not negotiable, like Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. Sorry, if we can't agree on that, we just, you know, we're not going to agree on anything. Okay? But beyond that, there, is, there's, there needs to be some graciousness. We need to understand that everything isn't absolute. Paul is counting on God to help everyone work out their differences when they can't agree. They, don't, they shouldn't be going into court. That's another passage. We don't have time to go chase that. But not just them, but us. If we have differences with our brothers and sisters, remember God was gracious enough to you that while you were yet a sinner, he extended his hand down to you and accepted you with all of your objections, just like C.S. Lewis and me. So be gracious when you find yourself not necessarily agreeing with a brother or a sister. I also love verse 16. Maturing in our faith includes progress. I had a kid working for me at one time. Boy, he was annoying. But I will tell you, God used him mightily in my business. And whenever we were facing difficulties in the projects that we were working on, he would say, trust progress. But what are you measuring your progress on? There's the rub. Right? You've got to be careful of what you're using to measure your spiritual maturity. It may not necessarily be the, the source that you're using. Be careful. Seek out Paul, people who are trying to imitate Paul, people who are living their lives according to the faith that God has revealed in his word. So trust progress. And desire more progress. Live your life imitating Paul. As tempting as it is to camp here, Paul's about to get into lawless behavior, which is what our intro was all about, so we need to get on with it. Verse 18. 
For I have told you before, often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. Notice first how much this bothers Paul. We could all imitate Paul a little bit better in this area, could we not? Being brokenhearted for people, professing believers that have gone off the path. Then he clarifies that enemies of the cross of Christ are those who think only about life here on earth. And I emphasize this. These are, we're not talking about unbelievers here. We're talking about professing believers. He's addressing the church, folks who identify as Christians, whose God is their appetite, and then brag about shameful things. The word appetite here is actually the word belly or stomach. And metaphorically, it speaks to an irresistible passion for what your heart craves. These days, we just call it lust. So this could have just as easily read, those who do whatever suits them, whatever that may be, regardless of what anybody else thinks, and then boast about it as loud as possible, proud of their defiance, no matter how historically shameful. This is arrogant lawless, according to John MacArthur. Shameful. Shame is God's antidote to lust. I'm going to say that again. Shame is God's antidote to lust. And by the way, Piper had a great devotional yesterday regarding this very topic, and there's a link at the bottom of your app. Remember the app? There's a link at the very bottom that if you want to pursue that further, I invite you to go ahead and look at that. But Paul presumes his readers understand the importance of shame. His readers may have, but I no longer believe that assumption is valid. The word shame has been under attack my entire life. Google shame and you will see what I mean. I'm going I'm to read this. The National Institute for the Clinical Application of Behavioral Medicine site provides this infographic, which is on your screen, which addresses the behavioral impact of guilt and shame. Now, I know there's only maybe one of you, the young ones here, that might be able to read that. So there's a link in the app, and if you want to read the fine print, you're welcome to go chase that down. In the next screen, I've blown up the summation portion so you can see what scientific consensus of the medical community is currently. There is little positive about guilt and nothing, underscore nothing, positive about shame. According to them, shame is the negative feeling associated with guilt. Now, Satan understands this better than every single one of us in this room. There's an important relationship between guilt and shame which is why, I believe, he and his disciples have been focusing on eliminating shame my entire life. Apparently, nothing should be shameful anymore. But how can that be possible? 
Shame, or a variation of it, appears in your Bible over 150 times. Now, granted, most of those are in the Old Testament, which doesn't invalidate it, by the way, but several dozen are in the New Testament. Shame is a function of guilt, and guilt is a function of law, which law, which court, and we return to jurisdiction. Which jurisdiction determines your guilt or innocence? Whether something is shameful or not, the jurisdiction of God's kingdom and his word or the court of public opinion controlled by corporations. That's what you're faced with deciding every day. Beginning to see the importance of jurisdiction. Let's go back to our billboard. The Pharisees had hundreds of laws concerning the Sabbath. Most have nothing to do with what God had declared in his word. As Christ followers, we claim Jesus lived a sinless life. He had to in order to be the Savior. In my neighborhood growing up, a predominantly Jewish one, people there dismissed the sinlessness of Jesus based on the gospel record and Jesus' own defiance of rabbinical law concerning the Sabbath. If rabbinical law is the jurisdictional law, then Jesus was guilty by their laws. He wasn't sinless and therefore disqualified to be Messiah, period. Jurisdiction. Rabbinical law, rabbinical court. Jesus is not sinless. He broke the Sabbath, not Messiah. Or heavenly law. God's word, as he put it, not as humans have manipulated it. Not just the Pharisees and the Jews in the Old Testament. We've been doing it as the church for 2,000 years. Kind of, you know, wedging a little bit. Really, do we need to sing about the blood? That's kind of nasty and ugly and ooh. And so we, we keep deciding that we need to help God out. And I'm here to tell you, stick with what God has written in his word and you will be a lot better off in maturing in your faith. It'll be a lot less of a struggle. We are watching jurisdictional importance play out every day of our lives right before our very eyes. Do you think jurisdiction matters right now to Brittany Griner? We Christians often look as ridiculous as she does when we're applying heavenly jurisdictions to worldly courts. Paul is warning the church here to be mindful of their lusts, and if you feel shame, be sure that the guilt that led to the shame you're feeling is legitimate guilt. I'm going to say that again. Because shame is agnostic. Shame is an actual term that results from being guilty. Guilty of what? Breaking some law. Is the shame that you're feeling right now regarding something related to a guilt that is legitimate? It's a reasonable question. Stick with me. We're going to read verse 20. And I'm going to see if I can clear this up. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. We are citizens of heaven, but you say, I'm a citizen of the United States. Well, here it is. The second you accepted Jesus Christ of our, as your Savior, 
you have dual citizenship. It's not just Viviana who might still be a citizen in Mexico. You have dual citizenship, and it's important to understand the ramifications of that. Viviana can't expect the laws in the United States to be the same as Mexico or vice versa. She doesn't. She's a smart woman. You can't expect the laws of heavenly laws that are pertaining to where Jesus lives and what that amounts to and expect the laws that are here in the United States or in corporate cultures to be anywhere the same. Paul is telling the Philippians, base your behavior on the laws of your heavenly citizenship. Heavenly laws, understanding that as citizens of heaven, your guilt or shame or innocence are not based on what may or may not be legal or acceptable anywhere on earth. Let that sink in. Because I truly wish somebody would have told me that 40 years ago. I'd go for 20 or 10. My guilt or shame in God's eyes are determined solely by his laws, period. They're defined by his word, his jurisdiction, period. This is the only legitimate guilt and shame that exists. Doesn't mean that you won't get a ticket if you're flying through Lanier County, or worse, if you break laws on this plane. But when they happen, understanding that your citizenship is in heaven should change the way you understand it and the way you feel about it. Just like Paul. Because Paul sums all of this up beautifully in our last verse for this morning. Verse 21. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Even from his prison, Paul is thinking about his heavenly citizenship. Forgetting what was in the past, he's focusing on the future, no matter what that future might mean in his life, including, in his particular case, martyrdom. Now, I'm not wishing that on anybody in this room, but get the perspective here. That's what Paul is telling the Philippians. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I've said this already, this is not your home. There's an old hymn, I'm just a passing through. <laughs> we are to eagerly anticipate his return and let him help us to be less concerned about all the crappy things that are going on in this life. It's, I, I, many of you know I have not watched the news in over six years. It just, it wears you out. You have to figure out a way to get news sources that doesn't have all the other agenda stuff packed onto it. I don't stick my head in the ground. I stay, I stay on top of things, but you don't have to watch the news. You don't have to take in what they're shoveling. You do not. You have a choice. So let's wrap this up. I think I have made my case, and I sure hope so by now, but jurisdiction matters a lot. When you're determining what you're thinking about something, this is wrong. Well, wrong by what? The jurisdiction of you? I mean, what are you applying to that circumstance? Is the jurisdiction 
heavenly? Are you evaluating it based on whether it's right or wrong according to God? Or are you according to whatever's going on in the here and now? It's an important thing to be mindful of. Heart. When you feel an injustice has occurred, what are you basing those feelings on? Make 100% sure the basis before you judge, whether it's right or wrong, just or unjust, fair, unfair, false, true. I mean, on and on and on it goes. Just be sure you're clear which jurisdiction you're applying to whatever is in that particular moment. I have to say to you guys, I, I started off my, my preparation for today. I, was, I had aha. You know, this was an aha thing for me. If Spencer were here, we talked about aha moment. What, when your salvation became an aha moment, like, oh, my gosh. You mean that's what salvation is? If, you, if you're saved, it may not have been eye-opening, cloud-separating, all the rest of it. It may have been subtle, but it happened. You actually came to an understanding of what that was. If you, could, if you let it, this can change how you feel about all the stuff that's going on in your life. Just merely applying jurisdictional distinction. Is this something that somebody's peddling at me? Does it, is it consistent with what God has said in his word? Just sort that out beforehand each time and you will be a lot calmer. You'll be a lot less annoyed about everything. I should be saying that to me, really. Hands. Live like Paul. He was in prison here when he wrote this. That to me, I've said it several times, that really kept coming back to me. You know, my son is, 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 is very good at saying, you know, Dad, you got a lot of first world problems. You know, we do, every one of us. A lot of the things that trouble us are probably not that troublesome. What we mostly have is a failure of perspective where we've chosen to be in that moment and we're not thinking clearly. Imitate Paul, forgetting the past, pressing on in the power provided by Jesus himself to stay focused on the kingdom of God, his kingdom, until he calls us home. Let's pray. Well, Father, I, I knew when I started putting together this, this particular sermon that you were really talking to me. And I pray, Lord, that if there's any way possible that your Holy Spirit if would take the portion of it that you want people to hear and apply it to hearts so that people don't, well, they don't have 40 years like I had where I'm struggling to reconcile being a patriotic American and a Christian simultaneously. It ain't that hard, really. It really isn't. But I pray, Lord, that you would take the word that I have spoken and by your spirit will at least give people the opportunity for them to change their lives. For I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.